Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Welcome and thank you for joining the Commonwealth Club, Timberland's Arts Forum. For more information about our live streaming programs, please check out our website, www.commonwealthclub.org. Hi, my name is Robert Melton. I am the co-chair for the Riverlands Arts Farm, and I'll be your moderator today for the Peter Kahlo exhibition talk on the new exhibition at the Daring Museum title, Appearances Can Be Deceiving, now currently showing at the museum. Peter Kahlo is one of the most widely known artists who has fascinated the hearts and minds of many, including myself, her art, her paintings, her many personas. So I'm really excited tonight to have this talk to learn more about the artist. And I want to personally thank Cynthia Naba, the Docent Council Coordinator, for arranging this exclusive Docent Talk. Cynthia, could you take a moment to tell us about the Docent Council, what it's all about? Give you a little plug there. Docents are volunteers for the museums, and they are guides. They offer tours of all sorts to uh-huh. our visitors and members. Nice. Wonderful. Now, our amazing docent talk will be presented by Catherine Supsik from the Fine Arts Museum. Her talk will include a PowerPoint presentation that will take a, a look, close look at Frida Kahlo's personal items, photographs, and painting that revealed the artist's constructive identity. And I'm really excited about this. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm sorry, Robert. I thought you were finished. Oh, no, no. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Thank, thank you for you know, taking time out to do this. We're really Thank excited you. to learn more about the artist's world. Follow, follow, uh, after the presentation, we're going to have a Q&A. Cynthia's going to be monitoring the questions. So have your questions ready as we decipher the world of Frida. With no further ado, I now turn it over to Catherine. Thank you very much, Robert. It's really a pleasure to be here to talk about this wonderful exhibition. So Frida Kahlo Appearances Can Be Deceiving is at the De Young Museum in San Francisco right now. Uh, it was supposed to open months ago, but because of the coronavirus, it just hung there alone on the walls for several months until September. I am sure that every single one of you recognizes this image as Frida Kahlo, even though all we see here is a hairstyle and a set of eyebrows. She has become such an icon in our time. She is the most recognizable female artist in the world, living or dead. And this has actually caused a bit of concern among art historians and scholars because her her iconic um, public image has completely overtaken the reality of the complex artist and woman that she was. So this makes the exhibition at the DM particularly relevant right now because it brings to light new information about Frida Kahlo. The exhibition comes from the Casa Azul, or Blue House, in Mexico City. This is the home where Frida Kahlo was born. She lived most of her life there and died there in 1954. Today, it's a museum, one of the most popular attractions in Mexico City, and it's wonderful. Everything is left exactly the way it was when Frida lived there. When Frida died in 1954, her famous artist husband, Diego Rivera, requested that her personal things be locked away in a series of closets. In fact, this was Diego Rivera's bedroom in the Casa Azul, and that green door is one of the closets behind which things were locked up. 
These things, for a variety of reasons, these doors were not unlocked for 50 years after she died. It wasn't until 2004 that the museum staff unlocked the doors, and what they found was astonishing. There were more than 6,000 photographs of Frida and Diego, along with their personal documents. Most of these photographs had never been seen before. <clears throat> and there were Frida's costumes, her iconic costumes that we know so well from her photographs and uh, and her paintings, along with her jewelry, makeup, and her elaborate hair ornaments. So these are the things that will be in the exhibition, along with an excellent assortment of Frida's paintings that span her entire career. So today I'm going to talk about Frida Kahlo, her life and her art, and I'm going to use the objects from the De Young as illustrations as we go. One of the most important things to know about Frida Kahlo is that she grew up in the years just following the Mexican Revolution. The revolution started in 1910 when Frida was just three years old. And it started because this man, Porfirio Diaz, had been president of Mexico for 31 years, favoring a tiny, wealthy elite group of Mexicans and foreigners, while the vast majority of Mexicans were very poor and 85% of the population was illiterate. So in 1910, the people in the countryside rose up, they formed rebel armies, and they fought this bloody war that would last for 10 years. These are vintage photos of the Mexican Revolution. These are soldiers from Oaxaca in the south. And I want you to look at the women seated on the ground. These shawls that they are wearing are called rebosos that they have made by hand, woven by hand on wooden looms. I'm telling you this because we're going to see Frida wearing them a lot. So in 1920, the rebels won the revolution and established themselves in Mexico City in the seat of government. And they had a revolutionary idea, which was that art could be an important part of unifying the country and in educating this largely illiterate population. So they started this huge program of public murals around Mexico. And the first thing they did was to contact Diego Rivera, who was living in France. He'd been there for 15 years painting modern art with people like Pablo Picasso. And they convinced him to come back to Mexico and start painting murals. This is one of Diego's murals. We see uh, workers, miners, going down into the mines. And this reflects a brand new idea in Mexico at this time, the concept of Mexicanidad, which means Mexicanness. Before the revolution, the only acceptable art and culture had to come from Europe. But now the new idea is that art and culture should be about Mexico and about Mexicans. So here's here Diego has painted the indigenous cultures of Mexico and celebrating their beauty and creativity. And here, really for the first time, showing appreciation for the great past civilizations here, the Aztec city at Tenochtitlan. So Frida Kahlo will be just starting high school when the revolution ends, and she will grow up 
with this enormous pride in her Mexican heritage. Look at what she's wearing. She's 22 years old and from the middle class, but she is wearing a reboso, same as the impoverished indigenous women we saw earlier. And she will grow up surrounded by artists and thinkers, filmmakers who come to Mexico City to make this new revolutionary art. This is called the Mexican Renaissance. So I want to point out that little star. Uh, in When you see that, that means that what we're looking at will be in the exhibition. Frida Kahlo was born in 1907, but she would later lie about that and say that she was born in 1910 just because she wanted to be born the year the revolution started. This is actually a problem when you're researching Frida because she would stretch the truth or out and out lie so often about her life story that you read many conflicting versions of it. This is her parents' wedding photograph. Her mother, Matilde Calderon, was from Oaxaca in the south. She was mestiza, which means of mixed Spanish and indigenous blood. Frida's father, Guillermo Calo, was actually European. His parents were Hungarian Jews who had immigrated to Germany, where he was born. And when he was 18 years old, he crossed the ocean by himself, went to Mexico City to find his fortune and he became a photographer. He worked for the Mexican government documenting buildings, government buildings going up in Mexico City, but he also loved portraiture, fortunately for us, because that's why we have so many portraits of his family. This is Frida's mother, a picture Guillermo took, uh, where she's posing as this very cute uh, young revolutionary. And he took many pictures of Frida, his favorite, child because she was so brilliant and creative. So she, here she's six years old, and she would grow up extremely comfortable, as you can see, with posing, smiling for the camera. Here she is at 12, and she is not smiling anymore. When Frida was six, she contracted polio and had to spend a full nine months isolated in her bedroom. So she missed out on school. She missed out on activities with friends. And when she went back to school, her right leg was kind of withered. It was thinner and shorter than her left. And she walked with a limp, which she tried. She tried to hide that leg. She would put on layers and layers of socks, but it didn't work. The kids teased her. They called her pata de palo, which means peg leg. Frida has said that she compensated for this by becoming a character. She became a tomboy, the girl who was not afraid of getting in trouble, the girl who was really daring and outspoken, and she will retain those qualities always. Here is a photo of Frida on the right in the little sailor suit, her sister Christina on the left in the white dress, and that's a friend sitting in the middle. But notice the way the girls have crossed their ankles. This is to Frida's benefit. She will, her entire life, try to hide that right leg behind the left one. And a photograph her father took of her when she was 18 years old. 
I want you to notice this pose. This is a classic photography pose. Her shoulders are facing forward, her head, we see a three quarters view of her face. And then we're also seeing this intense gaze that her father would capture so often where she's kind of locking eyes with us. I'm telling you this because we are going to see this pose over and over again later in Frida's self-portraits. She is, her hair, by the way, it looks like it's pulled back, but this is actually an extremely short haircut uh, called a shingle bob. Frida was, this is the 1920s, so this is a flapper style. In Mexico City, there were lots of flappers. They called them flapperistas. On the left uh, is a family photograph from about the same time. Can you find Frida? Look for that haircut. There she is. She has shocked the family by appearing for the photograph dressed as a man in one of her father's suits. And so here we start to see her love of posing. Look how she's standing as, as a man might. And her love of uh, using clothing to identify herself, to change her identity. We're also seeing this kind of androgynous quality about Frida Kahlo, which fits right in with that famous unibrow and mustache. Frida said of herself, of my face, I like the eyebrows and the eyes. Aside from that, I like nothing. I have the mustache and in general, the face of the opposite sex. So in the 20s and 30s, it was not stylish to have thick eyebrows, thin uh, pencil thin eyebrows were in style but Frida always had her own idea about how she should look and she always kept those eyebrows and that mustache any stylish woman would have gotten rid of that mustache any way she could have but Frida always kept it it was part of her unique identity she would even make jokes about it once she stood up at a dinner party and said excuse me I have to go shave for high school, Frida attended the National Preparatory School, the most prestigious school in all of Mexico. She was one of 35 girls in a student body of 2,000. They had just started admitting girls. And she got in because she was so intelligent. Um, but she wasn't a good student. Frida was mostly interested in playing pranks and getting into mischief with her, with her kind of wild group of friends. But her goal was to go to university and become a doctor. But that did not happen. When she was a senior in high school, Frida was riding home on a bus and it collided with one of these new modern trams that were in Mexico City. And when they found Frida, she was had been thrown from the bus. She was on the ground. A handrail from the bus had completely impaled her all the way through her pelvis. Her spine was broken in three places. That that right leg was broken in 11 places, foot dislocated, ribs broken, just on and on, these horrible injuries. They didn't expect Frida to live. This is the only drawing she ever did of that accident. Um, this is one of the things that was found in the Casa Azul not so long ago. So up above, you can see the bus and tram colliding, those bodies out there on the ground. Below that, Frida bandaged on a stretcher. But look at that little head she's drawn above herself. Frida said that when she was young, she had 
an imaginary friend who was a second version of herself, a second Frida that she could talk to. And this is a theme to Frida's that we will see in her artwork. Frida spent a month in the hospital and a full year recovering at home. She did not go back to high school. She never went on to university. She would suffer from intense pain in her spine and right leg for the rest of her life. And she, though she would live for 29 years after the accident, she would have 32 grueling surgeries in that time period. And to her great dismay, she was never able to have children. But it was the accident that set Frida on the path to becoming an artist. Her mother had this special easel made so that she could paint while lying in bed. And they installed a mirror on the inside of her canopy so she could look at herself and paint, which is how she came to make so many self-portraits. This is the first major painting she made, a self-portrait. She's depicting herself looking pretty sexy in this red velvet dress um, because she, her boyfriend had been ignoring her since the accident and she was going to give this painting to him. But look, you see, there's that gaze, there's that three-quarter view of her face already. She's not wearing Mexican clothing yet. We will see that a little later. Frida Kahlo met Diego Rivera when she boldly walked up and interrupted him while he was painting a mural and asked him if he would look at her paintings. He did look at her paintings, and a year later, they were married. As you can see, they were an odd couple. Diego was 43. Frida was 22. It was his third ma marriage. Diego was huge and extravagant. Frida was tiny and fierce. She was only five foot three and she weighed under 100 pounds. Diego was six feet tall and weighed 300 pounds. He was famous. Nobody had ever heard of her. Her mother was just appalled at the, at the mere idea of this marriage. She said, it's like an elephant marrying a dove. But you could see why Frida loved Diego. He was not just a great artist. He was brilliant. He was Funny. He was charming, and he adored Frida for her unconventional mind and her crazy sense of mischief. They had important things in common. They were both from the middle class. They both were deeply committed to the ideals of the revolution and would fight their entire lives for the poor people of Mexico. They were both members of the Communist Party. This is their wedding photograph. Frida, always unconventional, isn't wearing a wedding dress. She's wearing a dress she said she borrowed at the last minute from a maid and smoking a cigarette in her wedding photograph. If you look down at her feet, see that awkward way she's standing? That is her habit of trying to hide that one foot and leg behind the other. They would have a very tumultuous marriage with both of them having many love affairs. Frida would have affairs with both men and women. At one point, they would get divorced, but then they would remarry a year later because they, they really deeply loved each other. Even so, Frida once told a friend, I suffered two grave accidents in my life. One was a bus accident. The other was Diego. Diego was far worse.
When they had been married exactly a year uh, in 1930, they came to San Francisco because Diego had been commissioned to paint two big murals in San Francisco. So this was really exciting for Frida. She had barely been out of Mexico City. She'd never seen the ocean. So San Francisco was just thrilling for her. She had a lot of free time uh, while Diego worked and she would explore the city. Her favorite thing was Chinatown. She wrote to her mother that the Chinese children were the most beautiful she had ever seen in her life. They lived downtown on Montgomery Street, right across the street from where the Transamerica Pyramid is now. At that time, it was an artist's colony of sorts. So Frida met a lot of other artists, and this is when she really started to paint. This is a famous self-portrait. Those of you who live in the Bay Area probably recognize it because it's a centerpiece of the collection at SF MoMA. So she's painted this one year after their marriage. And uh, so now she is wearing Mexican style clothing. Diego really liked her to wear this style. So she's wearing a long skirt, a red reboso. Mexican jade necklaces, and her hair is indigenous style, braided, wrapped in ribbons around the braids, and then pinned to the top of her head. Diego, she has depicted as a famous artist. He's holding his brushes and palette. He's wearing a suit, but underneath the suit, a workman's shirt, and he's wearing workman's boots to identify him with the working class. Above their heads flies in, bizarrely, this bird carrying a banner. And on the banner it says, in, in cursive writing, Here you see me, Frida Kahlo, with my beloved husband, Diego Rivera. I painted these portraits in the beautiful city of San Francisco, California, for our friend, Mr. Albert Bender. And it was the month of April in the year 1931. When I first realized what this said, I was really disappointed because I thought it would say something really poetic, but it just states information. Frida is taking this idea from a very specific place, from Mexican folk art. This is an example of a retablo painting, sometimes called an ex voto painting, little painting on tin about the size of half a piece of paper. So we're looking at two people lost at sea, pleading with the Virgin Mary, who's just surreally hanging up there, to rescue them. And below, in cursive, is a caption that, again, does not say something dramatic. It just states, it just gives information. It says, on the 20th of September, 1929, in the port of Veracruz, we were rescued by praying to the Virgin. So it's... Um, you know, it's a, it's a folk art style, very amateurish painting. This is another example, so old that the writing has worn off. And this is the most, this is most, a lot of retablos show people in bed who are praying because they're ill or have been injured. So you can see what would draw Frida to this style of art. It's the art of the common people of Mexico. It's art that is unique to Mexico. And it's really about people suffering, which is something she understood very well. 
In San Francisco, Frida came to understand the power of the way she was dressing. In Mexico City, right after the revolution, it was not uncommon for artistic, progressive young women like Frida to um, abandon the styles of the 1920s and instead wear indigenous dress. But nobody had ever seen anyone dress like this in San Francisco. And she attracted a lot of attention, including uh, the great San Francisco photographers, Imogen Cunningham and Edward Weston, who both asked her to pose for them. She wrote a letter home to her mother. She said, the gringas really like me a lot and pay close attention to all the dresses and the rebosos that I brought with me. Their jaws drop at the sight of my jade necklaces. And you'll notice the necklace on the right. What these are are, are jade beads ancient from ancient sites that have been found that either Frida or someone else has strung together. So the necklace isn't ancient, but the beads are. Here's a photograph that was published in the San Francisco newspaper. Diego was extremely famous in the United States, and so the press would follow him everywhere he went. Here they've gone to have dinner at a Chinese restaurant. So look at those two women standing next to Frida. Those are the styles of 1930, and so you can, you can just see why she attracted so much attention everywhere she went. At one point, she had a little band of children following her, saying, Where's the circus? So what exactly is she wearing? She, there were many styles of indigenous dress, uh, different cultures around Mexico, indigenous cultures that would have dressed in different ways. But she is adopting the dress of the Tehuana women of the Isthmus of Tehuantepec in the South. And in part because these women were famous for being very independent, strong women. Let's look at this outfit. It's composed of a long skirt, uh, a floor-length skirt with a very wide, about a 16-inch flounce at the bottom, and then a very loose-fitting top. So she's she's wearing these clothing, this clothing, because it expresses her Mexican heritage, but also because that long skirt hides that leg, and that loose top hides the fact that about half the time, Frida has to wear some kind of a corset underneath her, on her torso to shore up that spine that was so damaged. And sometimes these corsets are kind of thick. Um, when you, these are her actual uh, outfits that just a few of the ones that will be on display at the Diane. And if you get to go see them, look closely because you can see cigarette burns and splashes of paint, signs that Frida actually lived in these clothes. Her friends said that she would take over an hour to dress every day because she would so carefully put together these colors and textures and um, patterns. Some of the clothing was authentic from Tehuantepec, but other pieces she would just have made in Mexico City by a tailor, sometimes of imported or synthetic fabrics. So she was, her style was to mix this all up. Over time, her outfits became more and more elaborate uh, with lots of jewelry, huge earrings, elaborate hair ornaments. Um, here you can see she's wearing full makeup and she has uh, painted her fingernails. So 
Frida is, Frida likes attracting attention. She has created this public persona uh, to identify herself as a fascinating Mexican woman. And the fashion world did take note of Frida Kahlo. She appeared in a spread in Vogue in 1937. And Elsa Schiaparelli, the famous uh, Parisian designer, created this uh, Madame Rivera dress in 1939. Notice that it is not called a Frida Kahlo dress. Frida just didn't have her own identity separate from Diego yet. Uh, many of the best photographs of Frida are taken by famous fashion photographers. This happens to be my personal favorite because it really shows her personality. People who knew Frida Kahlo said that she had a big, warm, generous spirit. She was tiny, but she had this kind of deep laugh and hoarse voice. She was passionate and dramatic. She loved using foul language. She could drink big men under the table. And she was fun and she was funny. She was tender with her family and friends and they adored her. And they said she always appeared happy in public and even in private. But appearances can be deceiving. That's the title of the exhibition, and that is what you can barely see written in pencil in Spanish at the bottom of this drawing. Another thing that was found not so long ago in the Casa Azul. So here she is showing what is going on underneath that Tijuana dress. She's painted butterflies on her uninjured leg, but the other leg is thinner and deeply scarred. On her torso, she's wearing uh, the, one of her corsets. Made This one made of plaster, and she's painted a, um, a broken column on it, representing that broken spine of hers. So this sets up an interesting dichotomy about Frida. Her public image and her costumes are, she has designed to conceal what is going on underneath. But her artwork is going to do the opposite thing. It is going to reveal her psychological and physical states. This painting shows her pain as nails sticking into her. You can see she's, and we see tears flowing down her face. She's wearing one of these corsets that are, we see leather, but underneath that is metal. And it looks like that is all that is holding her together. Look at the background. Backgrounds in Frida's paintings are always important. Uh, here, the, the landscape is mimicking the brokenness of her body. But look at her body and look at her face. She is beautiful. Frida Kahlo will continue to show herself as a sexual being right along with her disability. And this has made her a hero of the disabled community because she shows disability and sexuality simultaneously.
Frida Kahlo would allow the press to come into her bedroom when she was recovering in bed. I mean, it's just so unheard of. Uh, here you see her painting her corsets uh, while she's lying in bed. And notice, look at her fingers, a ring on every finger. She's wearing bracelets. She has on full makeup and her hair ornament. Her friends said that she would dress like this, fully dress every single day, no matter how terrible she felt to the very end of her life. And those last 10 years were pretty miserable. Her, her frame was simply disintegrating. Even so, one of her friends said, you would go visit Frida to console her, but it was you yourself who would come away consoled. Eventually, she had to have that right foot amputated and then the right leg below the knee, and she just didn't live for very long after that. She died in 1954 at the age of 47 from a pulmonary embolism, but she was taking so many painkillers, usually along with alcohol, so she might have died of an overdose, either um, accidental or intentional. So now I'm going to show you two very short silent home movies of Frida, just to give you a little bit better idea of what she was actually like. I love the ending of this second clip because you can tell she just said something funny. So now let's take a look at some of Frida's paintings. Um, and we're going to see how importantly her clothing figures in her artwork uh, as well as in her public persona. This is Memory from 1937. Uh, it's part of a series she made about coming of age. So she stands there in the middle wearing a contemporary dress of 1937, but she's flanked by two other dresses, a European style school uniform on the left and on the right that Tawana style dress bizarrely they each have each dress has one arm that is reaching out to her but she's only taking the arm of that tawana dress she doesn't have any hands there's something helpless about frida here and there seems to be conflict um notice how the shoreline kind of splits her in two and then her heart her chest is pierced and we see that huge heart lying there bleeding swollen on the beach. Frida does not tell us very often what her artwork means, so we have to decipher this for ourselves. Kind of a similar idea is in her most famous painting, one of the only two very large paintings she ever made, The Two Fridas from 1939. And there we actually see two Fridas, the Tawana Frida. And on the left, she is dressed in a European style dress of the late 1800s. Remember, she is half European. Her father came from Germany. And she always said that it was the Mexican that that in her that Diego loved. So look at the Tawana Frida's hand. She's holding a small thing, which is actually a miniature portrait of Diego. And from that, an artery comes and winds up her arm, attaches to her heart, reaches across to the other Frida and attaches to her heart. 
she cannot cut that cord. That would mean death. These Fridas are holding hands and they are, they are destined to be together forever. After they were in San Francisco, Diego and Frida went to Detroit and New York. So, they're, so they're, they were gone for a total of three years. And Diego was paint, had mural commissions in both of those cities. So here you can tell she's in New York. She's made this little painting up above. You see the stock exchange up above that the Statue of Liberty, uh, Manhattan. And then we see that Tawana dress hanging on a blue ribbon that is suspended between a toilet and a trophy. This is kind of Frida's sense of humor. She thought it was, she thought Americans were obsessed with sanitation. So the toilet and also obsessed with sports, the trophy. She liked New York a lot. She loved it, but they were there quite a while and she eventually became extremely homesick. And that's probably why her dress is here without her even being present in it. This is a painting she made in Detroit. Um, and again, there she is in the middle. On the left is her depiction of Mexico, the ancient pyramid, the sun and moon so important in Mexican ancient cosmology, uh, ancient artifacts, and then in the foreground, Mexican plants with their roots reaching deep into the soil. <clears throat> On the right is her depiction of the United States, where the important buildings are not ancient temples, but modern factories and skyscrapers here with no windows. And then that weird row of vents, which kind of look like the human beings of the United States. And in the foreground, not plants, but electrical appliances with cords reaching deep into the ground. So she's expressing her feeling that the United States had lost, had lost touch with its ancient heritage and with its agrarian roots. But she, look at her in the middle, there's wearing that dress. That dress just looks, that frilly dress just looks like so unlike something she would wear. And she's smoking a cigarette and wearing those little gloves and holding the Mexican flag. She did not like Detroit. And she said this is the kind of dress she ha was supposed to wear to society events there. So she would do rebellious things at these social events. She spoke English very well. And um, she had an accent, but she, so she would just pepper her speech with obscene words, but pretend that she didn't actually know what they meant. Here she is making that painting, so you can see how small it is. And uh, this is a time when she was probably being uh, influenced by Diego, because the painting actually looks like a mural. There are so many things going on in it. You should know that Diego Rivera was always encouraging to Frida about her art. From the day he met her, he thought she was such an original and gifted artist. He was the famous one, but he always encouraged and um, supported her in her career. When they were in Detroit, Frida had a miscarriage. This, she had had them before, but this time she was four months pregnant. And she made this little tiny painting on tin, just like those retablo paintings. Uh, you can see the similarity. Um, but instead of 
a saint or Jesus hanging in the air, she surrounds herself with things that meant something to her personally. A miscarried fetus above her, a snail, which she said represented how slow that miscarriage was, how long it took, and then a damaged pelvis, which is causing this problem for her. Look at how vulnerable she has made herself here, off-center on the bed, bleeding, not even a sheet to cover her. And then that always important background, what could be less comforting than this? That's, that's the Ford Motor Plant back there behind her. Um, curators and artists at this time wanted to group Frida Kahlo in with the surrealist painters. And you can understand why they were painting the subconscious mind, the stuff of dreams. But Frida didn't want to be um, lumped in with them. She always said, I am not painting dreams. I am painting my own reality. After three years, when Diego and Frida returned to uh, Mexico City, she would make some of her best paintings. She would basically stay there for the rest of her life. This is one of her most famous, um, excuse me, <clears throat> she painted this when Diego asked her for a divorce. He had fallen in love with somebody else, and she actually did cut off her hair, all of her hair, her hair which Diego loved. And above her is another reference to Mexican folk uh, uh, genres. This is a Mexican folk song in, in Spanish, it says, in English it says, um, look, if I loved you, it was because of your hair. Now that you have no hair, I don't love you anymore. So look at what she's wearing. She has abandoned that Tijuana costume that is her identity. She's wearing a man's suit, maybe rebelling against uh, Diego, maybe finding autonomy from him. Uh, here, a painting she did soon afterward when her hair was growing out. So it's these awkward lengths and she can't contain it within braids or ribbons. So it looks kind of wild up here on her head. And what is she wearing here? She's covered up by these big leaves, but she appears to be nude. So again, she's abandoned this identifying costume. Uh, around her neck, she's wearing an Aztec necklace that had been a gift from Diego that she wore all the time. But here it kind of looks like a yoke around her neck. After one year of divorce, Diego and Frida remarried back in San Francisco. Here they are at City Hall with Diego signing the marriage documents. And look at the necklace that Frida is wearing. Frida made certain rules before she would marry Diego Rivera again. And one of them was that the marriage would be celibate. It was just too painful to watch him falling in love and running off with other women. Frida had affairs too, but she always loved Diego. She didn't fall deeply in love with these other men or women. So here, look at this necklace. 
a necklace of thorns showing her suffering. And she's wearing a reboso, but it's brown and turned backwards. So it looks like a celibate monk's robe. And then she has this hand earring. Uh, we've seen that idea of an amputated hand before. It's actually another, probably another reference to Mexican folk art, milagros, which were our charms intended to help with healing. And Frida actually did have a pair of hand earrings that had been a gift to her from Pablo Picasso. I think, I think she lost one and one of them is in the exhibition. The last painting I'm going to show you today uh, shows, Frida has shown herself in another form of Mexican indigenous dress. This is called a resplandor, this headdress. And that literally means radiance. She, um, her mother, remember her mother's family was from Oaxaca. This is a painting from the late 1800s. That's her mother in the foreground. And in the background, you see her aunts wearing the resplandor, which means it would have been a Catholic holy day. She owned a resplandor. You'll see it in the exhibition. I'm going to tell you honestly that I really disliked this painting when I first saw it. It, that resplandor just looks so out of character for Frida. But over time, this has become my very favorite painting in the exhibition. She has painted that lace so beautifully with so much care. And if you look at the background, that little bit of background up there, she's painted it in a color and style that is so similar to the lace that it almost looks like she's not wearing something as much as she's standing behind the canvas, somehow looking through. There's something detached about her from this resplandor. Um, is it, is it tight around her face? It kind of looks like a nun's wimple. It's simultaneously beautiful and worrisome. And we see tears again. Uh, the tears probably refer to another form of Catholic art, uh, images of the sorrowful mother, which is the Virgin Mary grieving over the death of Jesus. But Look at the statue. Her nose and eyes are red from crying. She looks down in sorrow. But look at Frida. No matter, we, we so often know from her painting that she is expressing um, unhappiness, agony even, but her face never shows the expression of unhappiness or agony. Her face always retains that same mask, blank stare, gazing, um, excuse me, locking eyes with us, the same as that portrait her father took of her when she was just 18. So did Frida Kahlo become famous? Did, 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 was she known as an artist in her lifetime? Uh, when she In the 1930s, after they were in New York, there was a period when she was the darling of the New York critics, and she had a solo show um, in New York City and sold about half of the paintings in it. Then later, uh, a while later, she had a, appeared in a surrealism show in Paris. In Mexico City, just before she died, she had there was a big retrospective of Frida's work. But really, from the 1940s on, 
Frida Kahlo was not known at all outside of Mexico City. And it would not be until the late 70s, 1978, that a group of Chicana artists in San Francisco at, in the Mission District at the Casa de la Raza would mount an exhibition honoring Frida Kahlo. And from there, her, her, um, her fame just spread like wildfire. So that today, uh, there are so many people who adore Frida Kahlo for so many different reasons. And she is better known than her famous husband, Diego Rivera. <clears throat> so I'm going to finish today by looking at images of the third of Frida's great forms of creative expression, and that is the Casa Azul itself. She filled that house with beautiful uh, Mexican folk art, um, all sorts of Mexican art and furniture, and they, she and Diego created a beautiful garden uh, with lush Mexican plants and wild animals, lots of different animals, tame and wild, which seemed to kind of have been surrogate children for them. So this is one of my favorite photographs. At the end of Frida's life, she stands here in her garden looking very regal. And she's written an inscription up there in the left upper left corner to the photographer. She would write this inscription a lot in those last years of her life. It says in Spanish, don't forget Frida. It's just so heartbreaking that she would never know how unforgettable she would become to us. So I am going to flip through pictures of the Casa Azul. And at the end of that, we will um, have time for questions and comments.
Um, that concludes my slideshow, and um, now we'll have time. Now Cynthia and Robert will rejoin us, and we'll have time for questions. Thank you, Catherine, for that amazing um, presentation. It was so thorough and so insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great. What I thought was very interesting, um, her accent that she had um, in September 17th, isn't that Mexican Independence Day in Mexico at that time? That's a good question. You know, I can't, I don't know. I don't remember. It is. Yeah, I think it's the 16th or the 17th. Yeah, Mexican Independence. I wonder if that's why there was a collision, that there was extra traffic. Perhaps, perhaps. Who knows? Hmm. Who, who knows? Who knows, though? Yeah, exactly, though. And another thing I want to ask you is, um, was she considered a trendsetter for her contemporaries in Mexico? Um, you know, she, it's interesting. Diego was a professional artist. He spent all of his time doing art. He was obsessed with it. But Frida actually behaved almost more like a, um, like an amateur artist. She was not, she didn't paint constantly. She would stop for periods of time. Yes. And so, mm -hmm. so, um, you know, it was really her friends that, that she was painting for so often. And so I, it was more later when she went to New York that uh, people who liked surrealism, those are the people who really thought, saw Frida Kahlo as a cutting edge, so original artist. Right, right, exactly though, yeah. Yeah, I just find her as an amazing artist. I mean, her works, my favorite painting is the two Fridas actually. It's always been my yes. favorite, you know? the suffering, the pain, and it's just, it's just amazing, you know, her works and stuff like that, yeah. Right, right. and that, that idea, she, that feeling that she never seemed to shake, that there were two different parts of her. She used to say that she, she wanted to be the most Mexican of Mexicans, so this European side was always a, a difficult thing for her. Yeah, it was like a struggle, you know, or two sides struggling, you know. Exactly. And right. probably other things we don't even know about that she, that she felt that there were more than one of her. Yeah. Ex exactly right. Yeah. Well, let's get to the Q&A. I don't know where Cynthia is. Let me check my um, chat and see what we have in here. Hold on. Do you have any questions? No questions yet at the moment. So we're just waiting for those questions to come. 
Okay, well, let me let me say something. If you are interested in learning more about Frida Kahlo, uh, there is a wonderful biography of her that was written about 10 years ago. It's just called Frida, Frida, basically. If you Google Frida, Frida. Frida Kahlo biography, that's the first one that will come up. It's by Hayden Herrera. Uh, okay. And it's, it's very thorough and it's very um, readable. It's, I mean, okay. a million okay. things that I didn't have time to tell you. And Hayden Herrera also uh, was the advisor for the movie Frida, which is also worth seeing, um, uh, starring uh, Salma Hayek, who oh, plays wow. this very, this is where you see why her performance shows you why someone would have described Frida as fierce. Hmm? As fierce. It's a wonderful, wonderful performance. Oh my God. Is that, that movie, is that film uh, fairly recent or? I think it's about eight, nine years old. Okay. It's Great. excellent. Ah, wonderful, yeah. Um, we're still waiting for um, questions. I think we might have one question from Deborah. I wonder what it is. Hold on, let's see what we have here. I, I could actually see the question. Can you say the question? Yeah, because I can't. I could see it. She was asking if, uh, since, since Frida's father was Jewish, did that have any religious influence on her at all? Her father seemed to have not pursued his Judaism religiously, culturally, in any way whatsoever after he went to Mexico City. He married a Catholic woman, mm -hmm. and Frida, all the children were raised, um, were raised Catholic. But Catholic. I think there were, it's funny, she, her father was, it's, her father is the reason that Frida was so strong. He, he, adored her and probably treated her. He didn't have a son. He probably gave her those male things, you know, that he would have given a son otherwise. And he himself was epileptic and had increasing, um, as, as time went on, had more and more seizures. And he, so he understood suffering and he understood, he was also stoic about that suffering. Some scholars say that that mask in her in her paintings, yes, comes comes from her father. That that oh. is the idea of of reacting to suffering with the stoic nature. Oh, right, exactly. Thank mm -hmm. you. Another question there too. Can oh, I can't see this one. Can you not see it? No. Let's see. Let's see here. How many of her paintings are featured in the De Young exhibition right now? Uh, um, you know, this is terrible. I am in Idaho and I haven't gotten to see the exhibition myself yet, which I'm just dying to see. I think there are about 25 or 30 in that range. And I was really focusing on that, that those self-portraits because I wanted to talk about Frida as a person, mm -hmm. but there are also really nice still lifes. There are portraits of other people. Um, quite a nice variety of her paintings are in the show. Great. Any more questions there? Let's see. Let's see, I'll look again. Uh, <laughs> no, not yet. I kind of think that was the last one. Yeah. Anything else you can tell us about Frida? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, there's just so many things to tell her. Um, you know, her relationship with Diego is just, it's just like a soap opera, constant, uh, constant struggle, constant affairs, constant, so much, so much going on. And I, I do think it's interesting that Frida um, did not fall in love with other people. Her affairs were usually very short. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. But Diego would actually fall in love and go off with somebody for, you know, a week or so. Right. Very, very difficult man to live with. Mm-hmm. What about Frida's relationship to animals? Oh, well, well she, like that. don't you think it's interesting? So the, the, the um, paintings I showed at the end are her in her garden at the right. Casa Azul. So you saw exactly. how many of them were wild. Yes. Um, monkey, yeah, exactly. deer, parrots. And so she loved animals. People often ask, what's with the monkeys? And I think, right. I think part of it is the idea that they're wild, which is part of Frida's nature. This, her nature. This, she would have felt that was part of her nature. And mm-hmm. another thing, Frida... Um, so uh, uh, her paint, she almost always shows opposite sides to the same thing in her painting. So you see right. these monkey pictures. The monkey is this cute little thing, but then his hand is kind of a claw that's kind of, uh, you know, around her neck with these creepy nails on it. And you're too close to her, like you might be going to bite her. Or So I think it's, it's that as well. She saw duality in everything. Right, right. I think we have one more question, actually. Yeah. Let's see what's Can you see it? I think it's, was she, would you say she is a more a great celebrity than a great artist? And that is the question about Frida Kahlo that, that people ask so often. Um, remember, she, I, I don't think I told you that she actually never went to art school. She was, you know, she was pretty, she, she took a couple art classes um so her it certainly would not be in technique that Frida Kahlo would be considered a great painter it's the originality I mean no even those surrealists they were not talking about themselves they Mm -hmm. were they were she was so personal what she did was so um just original but, you know, scholars are mixed on this. Some will say, oh, that's just crazy to think she could even touch Diego Rivera as an artist. And then others will say she's better. She was better than Diego Rivera as an artist. So but certainly the level of her ce- celebrity right now is just unsurpassed by anybody. Right. We'll take one more question, Catherine, if you can see that. Uh, this question is, are there now now live docents available at the exhibition? And no, I'm afraid there aren't because a docent means people gathering together in a group. So, right. uh, so but I've, there are fantastic audio guides um, that will lead you through the exhibition. Great. All right. Well, we can conclude here. I want to thank you, Catherine, such a thorough, insightful art discussion on Frida Kahlo. I now have a really deeper understanding and appreciation of the artist and her world, and especially the allure and mystique of Frida. You know, it really, you really made it come through. I thank really you. Thank you very, thank much. You very much. There's more about Frida on the museum's website as well, okay. uh, recorded Great. by the curator and other good information about the exhibition. Thank you what? so much, Robert, for hosting me. And I'd like to thank the Docent Council, Cynthia, for arranging this. And lastly, I'd like to thank our viewing audience for joining us. And 
Hopefully I'll do some more um, docent art talks in the future. My name is Robert Melton, and until um, next time, be well. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.